Well, happy Easter to you. You can go ahead and be seated. What a way to begin our celebration today. Of all the days that we celebrate in church world, this is the day we go big because this is the day of our hope. This is the day that we celebrate life. This is the day that we celebrate Jesus risen up out of the grave. He is risen. Yes, he is. I want to extend a warm welcome to you, uh, whether this is your first time or you are a longtime person here at Crossroads Church. Uh, man, I am so glad that you are here today as we celebrate uh, together our risen Savior. If you are new, my name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and we would love the opportunity uh, to connect with you. At Crossroads, we make it pretty easy. Uh, we have a text line that you're going to see several times throughout the day. Uh, the number for that text line is 720 and if you are new and you want to connect, uh, you can just text the keyword new to us and uh, we'll get connected with you in that way. Um, or you can just really text any question that you want. We actually have a live person on the other side of that line. And so if at any point during the day you have a question that you want answered, just use that text line and we'll get connected in that way. Well, today, as we open up to our scriptures, uh, I want to spend some time talking to you about something that I believe is absolutely necessary for us to understand if we're truly going to celebrate how special this day is. This is the thing that we're talking about today. Uh, songs have been written about it. We sing songs about it. Uh, we talk about it all the time in church. It's absolutely central to everything that we do as a church. It is God's amazing grace. And so I want to begin really by asking you a question, and it's this question. When you look into the mirror, what do you see? When you look into the mirror, what is it that you see? All of us grew up watching the classic movie, Snow White. And in the movie, Snow White, the whole movie revolves around the premise of this queen who has this magical mirror on her wall. And she looks at it and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the... Good, you've used the movie too, good. This is gonna work a lot better that way. So she looks at it and the response, the response to, that she's looking for from the mirror is what? You are, which is our first indication that this is a Disney movie completely in make-believe, right? Because nobody looks into a mirror, at least that I know, and walks away going, you know what? I am the most fairest, I am the beautiful today, I am awesome. That's not the way it works, is it? That actually when you and I look into the mirror, Oftentimes what we see are the things about us that are too big or too small. We see our warts, our pimples, our scars. We see our weaknesses, the might have beens, the should have beens, the could have beens, the disappointments, the failures. That oftentimes when we look into the mirror, I'm not sure what it is that we're expecting to see, but what we end up seeing is all of our stuff. We see all of our stuff. And if we're honestly speaking, when we look into the mirror, when we leave, we're not all that encouraged, are we? But what if this Easter, I could give you a mirror that you could look into and that you could see yourself exactly as you are? And when you walk away, you would be 100% satisfied that you would walk away with joy in your hearts and a smile on your face, seeing yourself exactly the way you are. If you're interested in that, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, don't worry. We're going to put everything up on the screen for you today. But when it comes to Ephesians chapter 2, this is my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. 
It's centered into a whole letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church where he is speaking and communicating to them the lavish riches that God has poured out upon us. He says that God has showered his riches on you. When we get into Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is speaking to us these lavish riches that are showered upon us come to us through God's amazing grace. As we look at Ephesians chapter two on this Easter Sunday, we will be amazed, we are going to be stunned, there will be moments where we are are breathless, where we will move, want to move to our knees as we see how amazing God's grace is. Paul begins in Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse one, this way, verse one, he says, and you were dead. That's getting right to it, isn't it? Happy Easter, I told you that this was gonna be stunning. See, listen, when it comes to everybody in this room, when it comes to everybody who's watching online, when it comes to everybody who's walking this earth, you are in one of two categories. Either you were dead or you are dead. Biblically speaking, those are the only two categories that you can be in. Either you were dead or you are dead. Now, as we hear that, there's something a bit confusing, isn't it? Because you look very much alive. Like we all woke up this morning and we we put on our clothes and we drove here to this place or we tuned in online, but, but we're feeling and we're looking pretty alive. So how can Paul say that we're dead? Well, what he's speaking to is spiritual death. It is the condition that every single one of us were born into, that we don't like to think this way, but when you were born physically into this world, you came into this world spiritually dead that we were dead in in terms of our ability to do any good. In fact, the great prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament writes that any of our good deeds that we have are nothing but dirty rags before God. Because of of us being dead, we we are dead in our ability to to merit or earn God's favor. Because we are dead, we, we are dead in terms of our ability to have relationship with God. That you are spiritually dead. And because you're dead, there is not anything that you can do to change that. No matter how many works you do, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much religious activity you put into your life, that you cannot change that. Why? Because you're dead. Because you're dead. Now, let me give you an illustration to help you like, wrap your mind around this. Let's suppose that I have a friend named Bernie, and he's a dear friend of mine, and Bernie passes away. And in my heartache, I decide that I'm going to bring Bernie as much as I can to church. And so I walk dead Bernie into church, and and I set dead Bernie down next to me, and when we sing, I prop him up, and when we pray, I make sure his head's bowed, and and when the sermon's on, I try to make him, like, look attentive. And week after week, I bring Bernie to church, hoping that if I bring Bernie enough, (laughs) that he will go from dead to life. You go, Matt, that's absolutely absurd. It sounds like a movie. Like death doesn't work that way, right? Like like we know death doesn't work that that way. That you were dead. That you were dead, Paul says, verse one, that you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Trespasses just means that we have wandered off the path of righteousness. Sins means that we're missing the mark. That because of your trespasses and sins, you are dead. And Paul says, because you're dead, you have this dead man stroll about you. He says, you walk, chapter two, uh, chapter two, verse two, this is the way that you walked. 
that you followed the course of this world. Now Paul says that when it comes to the way that we walk, there is this system in the world. There is this world system. Now, when you think of the world's system, think of it as like a current in the river. That's, that's what the imagery is here that Paul's painting for us, that this is a current in a river. Now, if I was to take my dead friend Bernie and I was to throw his corpse in the river, Bernie wouldn't just float wherever he wanted, would he? That Bernie would float along the river. He would be carried with the current in one direction. That's what it, that's what it means, that Paul says that that your body is just flowing. That's the idea here, that you're dead, and because you're dead, you're just flowing with the world. Now, when it comes to this word world, the way that the Bible primarily uses the word world is in terms of the world's operating system. That is, the world apart from God, the world without God that this is the world's operating system. Now to truly understand and to wrap our minds around what Paul's talking about here, we need to actually go all the way back to the beginning of the story. All the way back in Genesis chapter one, we have the creation account where God is, is creating the entire world and at the end of Genesis chapter one, we're told that humanity is created and that we are created in the image of God. We get to Genesis chapter two and we begin to realize that we were created to actually be in relationship with God, which is a powerful, powerful truth. Because to be in relationship with God, what we learn from chapter two is that in that relationship with God, all of our meaning and our purpose and our value and our significant flows out of our relationship with God. This is so huge. This is such a huge and powerful truth. Then Genesis chapter three happens. And in Genesis chapter three, sin enters into the world. And with sin comes death. And so in our sins and in our trespasses, we are now spiritually dead. That means we are cut off from relationship with God, which if you're following along, creates kind of a a big deal for us, doesn't it? It creates this, this huge problem, this significant problem for us, because if we were created in the image of God, and meant to have relationship with God in which all of our meaning, purpose, and value flows out of. Now, if we are cut off from relationship, where are we going to find our meaning? Where are we going to find our purpose? That all of a sudden, because of the sin and trespasses in our lives, we are now left to live outside of God. That we are spiritually dead. And so now I must try to to find value in myself. I must now try to find significance in myself. I must now try to find purpose in myself. Now, this is how the world works. This is the world's operating system. This is now the world's operating system is I'm I'm wandering around this world trying to find meaning and value apart from God. So how do we go about doing that? Well, for most of us, we enter into not being able to find significance in myself, we enter into a world in which we have to perform. We perform in order to find value, we perform in in order to find significance, that all of my life becomes this competition where I'm comparing myself to you and how you're doing and and all of this stuff, and so all of life becomes this performance-based system where I'm finding my value and my significance, where I'm constantly stacking myself up against you to see how I'm doing. This is the world's operating system. And it's this system that causes people to walk into the careers that they go into to buy the houses they buy, to drive the cars that they, that they own, to marry the people, 
that they marry. That this is the world's operating system. And listen, this is exhausting, isn't it? I mean, it's relentless. It, it never ends. No matter how good you are today, no matter how good you perform today, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. I mean, is it any wonder that when we look into the mirror of our lives that we're disappointed? I mean, honestly speaking, if you look into the mirror of your life and you see your disappointments, if you struggle with self-esteem, if you struggle with value and performance and, and significance in this life, it is because you have bought into the world's operating system. You are in the world's flow. You're in the current just floating downstream. It's the only option you have. Why? Because you're dead. You're dead. And so Paul says, look, this is the dead man's stroll. That you're just following the course of the world, that you're following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of obedience. All that is to say is that there is a spiritual war going on and there are spiritual powers who have set themselves up against God, chiefly Satan, who we come to know as the deceiver, the liar, the slanderer, the father of lies. And you can imagine him in the river that he's driving the riverboat. He's the riverboat captain. And all of his demons are the cheerleaders. They're cheering you on. They're clapping. They're holding the signs as you travel down the river to your destruction. Paul says this is the way that it works. This is the way that you're walking. This is what the dead man stroll looks like. We get to verse 3 and he says this, that this is among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. Like there's this moment here that as we're walking through these first three verses that Paul seems so concerned that as we walk through these verses that we'll look at them and we'll go, we'll go, well, this isn't talking about me. Like this, Paul's gotta be talking about someone else. I mean, I'm not that bad. There, look, look around, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are doing more evil things, worse things than I am in this world. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. You can't miss this. This is you. This is not just the, the rest of humanity. I'm not describing someone else here. This is you. And so Paul says, let me take a moment to describe your story. That apart from Jesus, this is your story. You are spiritually dead. You're riding the, the current of this world that you are motivated and deceived by the father of lies. And your default position, as Paul says, is your default position is the flesh which just simply means the thing that I think I can do apart from God. That's all that flesh means. It's the things that I think I can do apart from God. That's my default mode. My default mode is not neutral. My default mode is the flesh. That's what comes naturally. And so the passions of my flesh, the indulgence of my flesh is to become my own God. And in becoming my own God, I, I find significance. I try to find significance and I try to find value in my life. Paul says, this is, this is where you are. This is naturally who you are, that you were born into sin, that you're a natural born sinner, that you are a child of wrath against God because you've been cut off from relationship with God. You are now an enemy standing against him. Why? Because you're dead. You're dead. And so here's the big picture that Paul's painting for us. He says, because you are indulging the flesh, you are just floating down the river. Satan, the riverboat captain, is driving you. The cheerleaders are the demons, and they're cheering you on as you flow down the river. And as you look over the horizon, you see that the river falls over a cliff. And no matter what you do, 
no matter what you say, no matter how much activity you have in your life, you cannot get in the river. You cannot get out of the river. And at the bottom of the cliff are these jagged rocks, and there, as you fall over the cliff, is your destruction, your condemnation, where you come face to face with the wrath of God, and there is nothing that you can do about it. And so Satan's driving the riverboat, going full speed ahead, the cheerleaders are cheering you on the path of destruction, and there is nothing that you can do. Why? because you're dead. You say, Matt, thank you for this uplifting and beautiful Easter message. I'm so glad that I got out of bed for this. Listen, this is not a cheering message, but this is the story of our lives, which is why I'm so grateful for the next two words in verse four, but God. When all despair came in around us, when sin was overwhelming us, when we had nowhere to go in this world but over the cliff with the river, a hero steps in. But God, who being rich in his mercy, who loves us so much, that he even though we were dead, this is verse four, in our trespasses and sins, that he made us alive in Christ. For by grace, Paul says, you have been saved. Good news, good news, you don't have to be dead anymore. You do not have to be dead anymore. That God, because of his great mercy, because of his deep affection for you, clothes himself in humanity in the person of Jesus, lives out this life, dies on the cross for your sins, three days later, raises up out of that grave, proving all of this is true. And in doing so, he makes you alive. He makes you alive. That this is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, is this reality that now I am alive in Christ. And so we think, why would God do this? And we go, oh, I know. I must have done something good. No, you were dead. Oh, I must have done something to merit the favor of God. No, no, you were dead. I must, at the end of my life, the good must outweigh the bad in my life. No, no, you were dead. That there was absolutely nothing that you could do, nothing that you could do to change any of this. You were dead. And so why would God do such a thing? Well, Paul says in verse four, that because of his great mercy, that because of his deep affection for you, that he has showered his amazing grace upon you, that while you were dead, just in case you forgot, Jesus has made you alive. That in this amazing grace, you have been saved. Very literally in the Greek, that word saved means rescued. It means to be rescued and it carries with it this idea that that God is up in the heavenlies and he's watching you float down the river headed towards destruction and condemnation and out of the heavens he reaches his hands down, he picks you up out of the water, he puts you on the banks and in doing so he gives you life. That you have been saved by God's amazing grace. And so now we find ourselves on the bank of the river and we go, well, what must I do? Now, what does my life look like? And unfortunately, for most of us, out of almost a sense of duty, we go, I have to pay back this gracious gift that's been given to me. 
Like, if God in his amazing grace lifted me out of the water, then I must spend the rest of my life paying him back. Listen, the moment you think that thought, the very moment that you utter those words is the moment that you have reverted back to a performance-based system of value and significance in this life. And in that moment, even though you are alive, you look around and start comparing yourselves to others. You, you walk this spiritual journey and you look ahead and, and there's people who are a little bit further than you and that's a bit discouraging, but you look behind and there's others who are behind you. You walk this, this path of faith and you see that others are doing it a lot better than you, but, but if you look around, there's also others who are a hot mess who are doing it worse that all of a sudden you find yourself back in trying to perform your way into earning this amazing gift of grace. Is it any wonder that when we look into the mirror, we are disappointed even though we have been rescued, even though we have been made alive? Listen, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. That Jesus did not do what he did on Easter in order for you to be back in a performance-based value system. Jesus accomplished everything at the cross. That three days later he rose from the grave proving it was true. By grace you have been saved. You have been rescued. And because of this grace, Paul says, verse 6, that you've also been raised, he's raised us up with him and has been seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Like we read this and we go, what is Paul talking about? Like to, to get our minds around this, to, to see how stunning this actual verse is, I just need to take you back one chapter to Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul says that the same power that is work in you right now is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that glorified him and exalted him, sitting him at the right hand of the Father, making him the King of kings, the Lord of lords, putting him over all of the authorities in this world and in this universe, the spiritual authorities, the demonic authorities, the governing authorities, all rulers, all the universe. Jesus is ruler over everything. And Paul says that if we could just somehow get a glimpse of heaven, we would see that this is not just like Jesus in the future, this is Jesus now. And if we could somehow just peer into the heavenlies just for a moment and see Jesus as the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, that it would absolutely change our lives. But he doesn't stop there. He says if somehow we could, we could peer into the heavens, if we could just get a peek into the throne room of God, if the curtains could just be pulled back for a moment, what we would see there in the throne room would be absolutely astonishing because what we would see seated next to Jesus is you. That seated next to Christ in heaven is you and is me. It is absolutely breathtaking stunning to realize how deep God's affection is for us. That we are there in the heavenlies seated next to Jesus. We look at all of this and we go, why would God take those who were once dead, facing condemnation and destruction? Why would he do this? Paul says, I'll give you that answer, verse seven. 
so that the result of all of this is that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what, what Paul is saying is that, that God did all of this so that he could be put on display, his grace, for everyone to see forever, forever. See, one of the reasons that we have such a hard time wrapping our minds around the amazing grace of God is because we think it's all about us. We think that it's all about us, that, that I must have done something to earn this. That we look into the, to the mirror of our lives and we see our might have beens our could have beens we see our failures, we see our disappointments, we see our missteps, we see our performance and we look at the mirror totally dissatisfied going, well, at least I got my ticket to heaven. And Paul says, look, newsflash of Easter, it ain't about you. It's not about you. You didn't do anything to earn this. You were simply a recipient of God's grace that God has deep pleasure in putting his mercy and his kindness, his grace on display for the entire creation to see. And so we get to verses eight and nine, these famous verses that if you've been a part of church, you've probably had to memorize these churches at some point or another. These are famous, famous verses. And we get to these verses in eight and nine and it seems like Paul is so concerned that maybe we still don't fully understand how amazing God's grace is. And so he's determined for us to get this deep inside of us. And so here's what he puts in verse eight. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. Yeah, got that, Paul, verse five, good reminder. And this is not of your own doing. Yep, pretty sure I understand this. Not me, all you, rescued by you. And it's a gift of God. Yep, <laughs> got that, Paul. Faith, grace, gift, God, not me, move on. Not a result of works. Paul, you're killing me here. I get it, not me, all you, all the time. So that no one may boast. Paul says, get this deep inside you. It ain't about you. This is not about you, that you didn't do anything to earn it. Why? Because you were dead. You were dead. You can't merit any of this. There's nothing to be arrogant about here. You were dead. This is all God, all grace, all the time. Now, Paul, knowing that we understand, convinced that we see how amazing God's grace is, brings us to the most stunning, one of the most stunning verses in all of scripture, verse 10, where he writes these words to us. For we are his workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship there is poema. Poema is where we get our English word poem. In the ancient world, poema, was this understanding of an original piece of art. It could be a song that was written, it could be a sculpture that was made, it could be a beautiful table crafted by a woodworker, it could be a literal poem. It was this understanding that it was this original piece of art, but just not an original piece of art, that this was the artist's masterpiece. I mean, this is so big this Easter. Paul says on the basis of God's grace that you have been made God's original piece of art, that you are his masterpiece, that you are his masterpiece, which means that you are so significant that even the angels stare aghast at what you have become. That of all of the creation that we see and that we experience in this world from the beauty of our Rocky Mountains and the sunsets, 
to the stunningness of the sand dunes, to the power of the Colorado River, to the beauty of the stars twinkling in the sky. Paul says of all of the creation that we see and experience in this world, listen, you are God's favorite. You are his absolute favorite. And he puts you on display for all of the world to see, to the praise of his glory forever. It is staggering to realize the depth of love that Jesus has for you and me. And the only thing that he asks in return, the only thing that he asks in return is that you and I would believe it, that we would live like we believe it. That's what the rest of verse 10 is all about, that we are created as his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, for good works which God prepared beforehand. That means before the, even the foundations of the earth that God had this all planned out so that you and I, that we could live in them. Listen, when it comes to God, that this is the mirror that he gives us for our lives. That when God's word becomes the mirror of our lives, we begin to realize that when it comes to God's opinion of us, that you are more magnificent than you ever dared to believe. When you look into the mirror of God's word, you see yourself exactly as you are and understanding that there was nothing that you could do. You were completely rescued by grace. You can walk away knowing that you are 100% satisfied because this is who you are in Jesus, that you are his favorites. If you've never experienced saving grace through faith, we wanna extend that opportunity to you. Again, the text line is on the screen. You can just text the keyword, the name of Jesus, and we would love to have that conversation with you this Easter weekend. Will you bow with me as we pray? Father, the words of Ephesians 2, God, they're bringing you to your knees kind of moment. To realize how great your mercy is, to see how amazing your grace is, to, to realize the depth of your love for each and every one of us. That while we were dead, sinners, totally cut off from you, you clothed yourself in humanity to die on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. Three days later, you walked out of the grave alive, proving this was all true. And then you look at us and you say, come with me. Let me show you what it looks like to go from death to life. That truly is amazing grace. And so Father, as we stand just in awe of this, I pray today that this Easter, we would not fall into performance, but that we would realize that our lives are completely and solely built on your grace. And that we would live in that freedom, that our hearts would be satisfied, that we would walk with a smile on our faces, knowing how much you love us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you defeated death 
and that in doing so that you've made us alive. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Today as a church family, we gather around communion, celebrating the realities of Ephesians chapter two. That you were dead. And only because Jesus' body was broken have you been made alive. And so today we eat the bread knowing that it was by Jesus' body being broken that we are saved. Jesus on that last night before the cross took the cup. He said, this is my blood spilt for you. That we know that through blood comes life. And so today we drink knowing that this is our salvation. We're gonna continue the celebration by singing songs to our Lord and Savior on this Easter. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand. If you need prayer today and you're in-house, you can make your way to the back banner. We'd love to pray for you there. Online, you can click the button, but let's sing together to our Lord and Savior, our risen Jesus today.